We'll continue our study of 2 Corinthians now this morning. I'll read uh, the scripture that is our focus. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Thus far, God's word. Thanks be to God. Father, help us to understand our inner selves better as we listen this morning. Help us to see your surpassing glory in Christ, even as we remember the death that we carry around in our bodies. May your word bring joy and assurance to us and to Pastor Andrew as he shares your truth with us. We pray that your Holy Spirit will make your word truly living and active in our hearts so that we may know the treasure that you've given to us so freely. And it's because of Jesus we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Dick, for leading us so carefully this morning. It's good to be together with you and open this passage of God's Word. I'm going to guess that for many of you um, been around the church a little bit, you're probably familiar with the whole jars of clay imagery. Maybe that was your favorite band growing up, I don't know. Um, there's so much here, though, that I, you know, it just doesn't appear on the surface, and we dig in a little bit, and we get to understand it more. I, you know, you always preach these things to yourself before you preach them to the congregation, and I found 
that this week, I, I really needed it. it. It just felt like a very cracked week for me this week. I don't know if it was post-wedding, you know, letdown or fatigue or anything like that, so can blame Josiah Morgan, um, but uh, there was, uh, it just had a hard time getting going uh, and a hard time focusing. I felt my crack there. Um, you know, I saw my own sin and idolatry uh, when the St. Louis Cardinals dropped a three-game set to the Milwaukee Brewers and were eliminated from postseason play, and I saw sadness, and I was like, why is this getting me down so much? Um, you know, there just I went to work out this week and couldn't move for two days afterwards, and I thought, man, my body is really breaking down. There are so many cracks uh, in our, our lives, and maybe you too have felt that. We bring them in different ways, whether they are physical or relational or uh, your own sin, your own idolatries that are there in your heart, sort of knocking at the door, protruding into your lives in, in different ways. How do we deal with that? This is We've been talking a lot about this through 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, you know, as we make our way through it, we're looking at weakness and strength. We're looking at strength in weakness, uh, God's strength displayed in our weakness. And this passage takes us there as well. Paul is, you remember, dealing with his own afflictions. Uh, he talks about it here in this passage. He's talked about it earlier. Afflictions that are leading him almost to the point of despairing of life itself. You remember back in chapter 1, verse 8. But there is a truth that Paul applies to his situation. He says that here. He says, I believe and therefore I am speaking. I, I believe that God is at work. I believe that there is something that allows me to see and interpret and respond to my own cracks, my own afflictions, and I am going to stand on what I believe, and I am going to speak the truth into it. And that's where I want us to go this morning, is uh, to see what it is that Paul is believing and what it is that he is applying to his situation. And I've organized it in the four P's there in your bulletin, uh, his, uh, the plain, the plainness, we'll get to that in a minute, uh, his perspective, his purpose, and finally, the person, and you'll have to guess who that is uh, until a little bit later. So, start with the plainness. One of the things that Paul recognized and one of the things that Paul lays out there is when it comes to his own cracked when it comes to his own wrestling with affliction, when it comes to all of this, there is an acknowledgement from Paul that he is a jar of clay. Uh, again, some of you have probably heard that imagery before, but let's explore what it means when Paul is saying that. He's saying, I am a jar of clay. He's saying primarily three things. One, that he is lowly. Uh, jars of clay were the most common of the receptacles in the ancient world. Uh, you could have other receptacles. There was gold, there was silver, there were boxes that were inlaid with ivory. There were lots of different things that you could use for a receptacle. 
but a jar of clay was the most common. When they do these excavations, they, they find all kinds of pottery fragments everywhere because it was everywhere. It was a very lowly. You didn't have to be wealthy to have a jar of clay. Uh, everybody had the jar of clay. It was a very lowly sort of object. It was also very fragile. Uh, something that could easily be broken. Sometimes they would just break on their own. They didn't have the sturdiness of, say, gold or silver. Uh, they would, if there was a flaw in the design or just uh, time, they would crumble, they would break, that type of thing. They would get cracks, you know, and then they were not so good for holding water, all of these different types of things. So there was a fragility to them. And then thirdly, frankly, they were expendable. Uh, these, these jars of clay were kind of the dime a dozen, uh, maybe a denarius a dozen. Uh, they, they could easily be replaced because they were so lowly, because they were so fragile, they often had to be replaced. They were expendable. And this is what Paul is saying about himself. You know, we have this treasure, he says, in a jar of clay, which in and of itself is a bit of a paradox. If you have a treasure, you're going to want to put it into something that is commensurate with the treasure, something that is either valuable in and of itself, putting it into a gold box or a silver box, or something that highlights the treasure, or something that is sturdy, like a safe or something like that. But Paul says, no, we're taking the lowliest object, uh, the, the most fragile object, the most expendable object, and that's where the treasure is. And that's what he says he is as he carries out the ministry of the gospel. He is a jar of clay, expendable. It's very similar to what he was saying last week. You know, last week when we were looking at chapter 2, he said he was led in triumphal procession. And we said he wasn't going in that procession as a victor, but as a conquered slave, a conquered slave who would eventually be given as an offering. Paul uses that, uh, that imagery in other places where he says, I am poured out like a drink offering. Paul has a reality to his life, and this is the first thing then that we need to grapple with. There is a reality to his life that when it comes to affliction, when it comes to when it comes to some of the suffering that we encounter in this world, Paul says, that's okay. Because that is part of what it means to show forth the glory of God. God's glory, the treasure, is exhibited in a jar of clay. We are not about ourselves. We are not about preserving ourselves. We are, it's okay for me to be expendable as long as God's glory is highlighted. Now, a couple of things, you know, just as we, uh, as we grapple with that. First of all, it doesn't mean that you are not intrinsically valuable. That's, that's not what Paul is saying here. You know, as humans created in the image of God, you are intrinsically valuable. It also does not mean some sort of dualism that the spirit is elevated over the body. We're going to actually come back to that a little bit later. He's not saying any of those things. But what he is saying is that as I deal with my afflictions, I have to gain the perspective that in light of the glory, 
that is being revealed, it is okay for me to see myself as this jar of clay. It's okay for me to see myself as something that has utility towards uh, exalting the glory of God. And, and again, it's something that is good for us to grasp because we oftentimes want to put the focus on ourselves, you know, and what, you know, how we in our strength, you know, the, uh, everything the opposite of what is Paul is saying, you know, lowliness, fragility, expendability, how we in our permanence, how we in our strength, how we in our beauty exalt the glory of God. And and Paul is saying just the opposite. You know, it's what he's going to say a little bit later on. When you are weak, then, when I am weak, then I am so strong. For it is God's power that is portrayed in our weakness. And I think you recognize this. I mean, most of you have had the experience in your life, either from yourself or in observing it with somebody else, that you see the glory of God most clearly when times are not going well. You know, as a person exhibits their faith in the valley as opposed to the mountaintop, that's when we see it. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, you know, part of what I need to gain is the perspective that sees myself as this jar of clay, something that in comparison to God's purpose, lowly, fragile, and expendable. Perspective is a big thing that he is gaining here. So he has that perspective with regards to himself, but he also has the perspective with regards to his suffering. And that's the second thing I want to point out to you. You see Paul's perspective being uh, hard won in verses 8 to 12. He says, look it, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair it's not the same word that he uses for despair back in, in 1.8. This is not, we're not driven to utter perplexion. Uh, we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying the body, uh, the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may be manifested. There, there's a perspective where he says suffering is real. Affliction is real. Being perplexed, being forsaken, or being crushed, being struck down, all of these things, this, this is very real in our lives. And this is one of the great gifts that we have in the Christian faith, and this is also, incidentally, separating Paul from the philosophers of their day. The philosophies of those days, Stoicism, Cynicism, uh, which was official philosophies, they would say either that uh, suffering wasn't real and it was a matter of mind over matter. You had to like sort of grin, you know, just steel yourself and, and get through it. But Paul looks at it and he says, no, it is real. You know, I was struck down. I was afflicted. I've been perplexed. I, I feel all of these things. It's real. He looks it in the face, but he says it's not ultimate. It's not the ultimate reality. I am afflicted. I always forget the words here. Uh, I, I, I'm afflicted, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. It's not the ultimate reality. Because he has a perspective, and, and here's three things specifically that he sees. He sees, one, that God's 
God's story is one of weakness over strength. He says in verse 16, we, our outer nature is wasting away, but our inner nature is being renewed day by day. So again, he's not emphasizing that the flesh is bad, the spirit is good, but what he's saying is there is a reality that encompasses our weaknesses. Our, our outer nature is we- wasting away. And, I, you know, you recognize that maybe not so much when you're in your teens or your 20s, you, you don't think about your outer nature wasting away, the flesh. Certainly when you get a little bit more advanced in years or you get a lot advanced in years, you recognize, like, that is true. My outer nature is wasting away. But there's a reality that there is an inner nature that actually, you know, as we look at Jesus, becomes stronger and becomes more clear day by day. I am so encouraged sometimes when I go visit folks. You know, just this week I visited one of our folks in the hospital. And her outer nature, her flesh is wasting away. But her faith was so strong. She said, you know, I don't know where I'll wake up. I don't know if I'll wake up here. I don't know if I'll wake up in heaven. But either way, it's okay. And I thought, you know what? There is an inner nature that is shining. There is an inner nature that I need to... And incidentally, I mean, there's, there's a lot of purpose there. I know sometimes as we get older, we say, what is our purpose? You know, what am I doing here? Uh, I don't feel like I'm contributing to the body in any way. But as your outer nature wastes and your inner nature grows, there is a gift uh, to be given to the church. So he, he talks about weakness over strength. He talks about the seen versus the unseen. You see that in verse 18. Uh, we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. You know, it's very easy to focus on things that are seen. You know, I think about, you think about value, you think about treasure, you think about money, right? And, and money buys things, things are seen, they're tangible. You can, you know, you can ride a sea dew you can, you know, go in a boat, you can, you know, whatever your heart delights, you can play a Stradivarius, I barely know what that is. Uh, but, uh, you know, you can, I always have to throw in the music one, so, um, you know, you can do all of these things, but Paul says there's a reality that goes beyond our scene. It, there is an unseen reality, and there's a, there's a value to the unseen. There's a treasure that is there, and he sees it clearly, though it is unseen. And then lastly, he talks about time versus transience, uh, or transience versus timelessness would be a better way to say it. You see it both in verse 17, this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal, verse 18. So it's not only weak versus strong, it's not only, you know, time bound, or it's not only seen versus unseen, but he also says there, there's something that goes beyond where we are. There is an eternal weight of glory that is entering our world. And that is a perspective that we need to fight for. That is a perspective that we need to, uh, we need to really grab onto because in our affliction, 
we can become so consumed with what is happening in the now. You know, as you are losing your job and you are seeing money going out the window, as you are struggling with uh, the loss of those things, it can be so consuming for the now. And again, it's not that that's not real. It's real. But it's not ultimate. Because what is, you know, the, the, that's time-bound. But eternity presents us with a different picture. There is a weight of glory for eternity, and Paul is grabbing on to that in the midst of his affliction. He has a perspective in the midst of his struggle, and we need that. You know, I was thinking about it, you know, part of my crack this week was just this national conversation, uh, the Senate hearings, um, and I was, you know, it's such a struggle. You know, how do we, we, we long for truth and grace. And, and I see so little of it happening in these conversations. You know, as we seek to pursue truth, it's so obscured by, by politics and whatever side of the aisle you are on, there are no white hats and black hats here. Uh, you know, as we look for grace, Grace for those, injustice for those who have been hurt, for those who bear the marks of that, you know, grace for those who, you know, may have done something wrong. You know, you just, you're just looking for all of that, and I need this perspective. I need to know that there is something bigger than politics. Uh, I need to know that there is something bigger than the Senate. I need to know that there is something bigger than our judicial system, as grateful as I am for it. I am so glad that I don't live in Venezuela or Nicaragua or some of the other places that are really struggling to have a, a, a rule of law and, and some of the things that we just take for granted. But I need to know that King Jesus sits on his throne. I need to know that though he may not be seen in a particular way here and now, he is real. That though we may be struggling in this time, there is eternity to be grappled with. That though uh, we may be afflicted, we are not struck down because we have a king in whom truth and grace perfectly align. And so I want to hold on to that. I need to apply this, these truths, to our national affliction. Now, the third thing I want to point out to you is that even as Paul does this, it's not simply, let me put it this way, as Paul applies these truths to his life, it doesn't stop with him. One of the great things about this passage is that Paul is not focused merely or only uh, on his own happiness, his own ability to get through the affliction that he, uh, he, uh, he is experiencing. He says, look at, I believed and so I spoke. And he speaks not only to himself, but he speaks to the world around him, and there is a purpose to what he believes. Notice how this passage is filled with so's and so that's and that's, all of that. Look at verse 7. We have this treasure 
in a jar of clay. So we have this treasure, this glory of Christ, in a jar of clay. We've already talked about it. Why? To show. To show that God's, the surpassing power belongs to God. Why? We carry around in our body the death of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested, it may be seen, it may be observed by others. Uh, death, so death, verse 12, is at work in us, but life in you. Paul is always thinking about somebody else. We also speak, verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you, the Corinthians, into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends more and more uh, to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. What Paul is saying is this. He's saying we've been given these afflictions, and we've been given a, a reality that goes beyond or that encompasses the reality that we feel. We've been given a heaven reality that encompasses that. It gives us comfort and peace that, that meets us where we are struggling. Why? So that we may share it with everybody else. So that it may be manifest. So that it may be seen. So that not simply that we are happy, not simply that we are delivered, but so that other people may see God's glory in us. This goes back to what we said at the very beginning when we started studying 2 Corinthians. You know, He is the God of all comfort so that we may extend that comfort to any who are in any affliction around us. It always has as its impetus, right, other people. No matter where you are, God comes to you and, and brings these realities into your heart and into your life not simply so that you can be safe, secure, and comfortable. Not simply so that you can be healed and happy. But so that you may manifest these glories. You may show these glories to all who are around us. Now, that is something that is really amazing. You know, when you see Paul, you know, so locked in on sharing his weakness. This is why he says, look at these super apostles, they're coming at you with strength. But I want to come at you with weakness. I want to hold the glory in a jar of clay. Why? Because that is the way that you are going to see the surpassing glory of God. That changes the way that we live and relate to one another, isn't it? Doesn't it? You know, we, and I'm very guilty of this. I mean, we, we love to talk about the things that we're killing. You know, I, I'm killing my relationship with my wife. We get along so well. And we're just doing so great, you know. And, but that doesn't show the glory of God. That, that shows the glory of Andrew and Lisa. And it's actually not true. We struggle, you know, like any other couple. I mean, we, we struggle to see things the right way. We struggle to communicate things in, in, given, uh, in given moments. And, and, and it's as we share those broken places, the, the cracked pot areas of our life, that we can point to the glory of God. Like, it's amazing we've been married for 27 years. 
I mean, I know myself and my heart, and it's, I can tell you it's only God's grace that she has stayed with me for all these years. I mean, we, that is what shows forth the glory of God. It's not the areas that we're getting right. So how do you talk with one another, you know, in the hallways, at school, uh, at, at work? You know, think about that even with the people that you desire most to come to faith. For some of you, it may be people in your own family. And wow, is it hard to talk about our weaknesses with family, isn't it? But what Paul is saying here is like, if we want to show forth the glory of God and we want this purpose to extend, it's in our weakness and not in our strength. And the the other thing that he mentions here with regards to purpose is that as this grace then extends to more and more people, it will increase in, what's the word that you see there? I think it's verse 15, 16, thanksgiving. It's so interesting that Paul brings in the idea of giving thanks at this point. Because remember, it's weakness, affliction, you know, anxiety, despair. I mean, these are the things that have been describing where he is at this point. But yet, he doesn't lose sight of the fact that thanksgiving, thanksgiving is the antidote. Thanksgiving is the thing that helps us to see the world differently. Thanksgiving is the thing that helps us to to focus on God, not focusing on our time-bound affliction and despair, but focusing on the unseen, you know, giving thanks even in the midst of the pit, finding something to give thanks for. A story that always sticks with me, Hiding Place, some of you know it, Corey Ten Boom, Uh, many of you know it, I mean, just culturally it's a little bit in West Michigan blood, right? There's a story within that. She tells about being in a uh, concentration camp. She was a Dutch woman taken captive by the Nazis during World War II and uh, was in a concentration camp. I mean, take, you know, keep in mind, tons of suffering. She's watched uh, people die, you know, that she loves. She loses her sister. She loses her father, uh, loses her freedom, all of these different things. And there, at, at one particular time in this concentration camp, and it's terrible. I mean, there are fleas everywhere. They are just getting bitten and eaten and destroyed. I mean, they're in all the bedding. They're in everything. And they come upon the verse that says, in everything give thanks. And uh, they were challenged by that. They had a little bit of the Bible, and they were reading it together as a group. They were challenged by that. Like, what does it mean to give thanks now in a concentration camp, in the middle of a war, having lost our loved ones, you know, bedridden, uh, horrible guards, all of these things? But they said, okay, we're going to give thanks. And they started giving thanks for all of the things that God had given them, including the fleas. And it wasn't until later that they found out that they were given freedom during that time. Their Bible studies weren't uh, disturbed. Their prayer times uh, weren't broken up. Why? Because the guards didn't want to go in there because of all of the fleas. You know, there, there is a reason to give thanks. A- a- and Paul says, practice it. Practice this thanksgiving 
because it's part of the antidote for moving through our affliction. Now, again, I'm not advocating stoicism or cynicism. I'm not saying that afflictions and sufferings aren't real. They are absolutely real. But Paul believes, and so he speaks. He believes that what is unseen is greater than what is seen, that what is eternal is greater than what we are going through in time right now. And we put it into practice when we give thanks. Now, the last thing that we need to look at is this. We've been alluding to the treasure, right? The treasure that's in the jar of clay. But now we need to come in and we need to name it. Like, what is the treasure that we have? What is the energy source that believers, those who are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ, have? It is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Look at verse 4 of chapter 4. Actually, verse 3, if our gospel is veiled, Paul says, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, God, small g, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, this is what Paul is saying, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. What Paul says is that I can be the plain container. I can have the perspective uh, of seen or of unseen overseen. I can continue to be poured out for your sake because I am filled with the treasure that is Jesus Christ. That is Paul's energy source. That is Paul's reality. That is the beauty that has filled him so much and that is shining through in every single way. You know, part of it is because, you know, when Paul talks about weakness over strength, when Paul talks about all of these things, he's talking about the path of Jesus. I mean, whose death is he carrying around in his body? He's carrying around the death of Jesus so that his life may be displayed. I mean, this is the gospel story. It's not our strength, but it's our weakness. It's not the life that we gain through our effort, but it is the death that we give willingly like our Savior did, going to death, you know, embracing the cross, despising its shame in order that He might bring life to His people. And that's the question for all of us. You know, wh- how are you going to go forward this week? I mean, there's all kinds of junk, right? We've been talking about cracks in our pots. There's all kinds of it. You know, are, are you going to try to just paste over the pots? You know, are you going to try to fill those holes? Are you going to try to do better? Or are you going to find yourself fixated on Jesus 
and allow His light to emanate from who you are. There, there's nothing that I can encourage you more than to draw close to Jesus, to, to find Him to be the, the light of glory that is illuminating your being, to be that, that core power that is filling who you are. As you draw close to Him, you can be assured in ways that you can't even control, in ways that you never would have predicted, in ways that you cannot foresee right now, that His strength will protrude in your weakness. It will come forward. And we can be assured that God will draw near to us. It's not, I mean, it's never been about, I, I, I love, you know, those verses where it says He has shown the light of His glory into our lives. It's not something that we did. It's not something that we got. You know, it's the, the God of this world has blinded the minds of, of, of some folks, but for some reason, if you know Jesus, you know, you've been set free from that blindness and He has shown that light into your heart. And, and it, it's not something that you've earned. And so if you mess up, you know, it's not that you have to stay away. You still know the light. And the invitation is to go back. That's why we confess in our worship service. It's a great grace because it brings us back to the light. It brings us back to the foot of Jesus and He embraces us and He says, I know you. You are my child and I love you. I was reminded of this story. Um, George was in his 80s. Uh, he got a cut on his finger. He arrived at the hospital to have the stitches removed from his thumb. The nurse who uh, waited on him was the one that relates the story. Uh, she says he was in a hurry uh, because he had another appointment at 9.15 a.m. So I weighed him. I took his blood pressure, invited him to take a seat in the waiting area, knowing that it would be over an hour before someone would be able to see him. I saw him looking at his watch and decided since I was not busy with another patient, I would evaluate his wound. On examination, it was all healed, so I talked to one of the doctors, got the needed supplies and permission, and removed his sutures and redressed his wound. While taking care of the wound, I asked George if he had another doctor's appointment this morning, if that's why he was in such a hurry. George told me no but that he needed to go to St. Christopher's Nursing Home to, meet, to eat breakfast with his wife. I asked about her health. He told me she'd been there for a while. She suffered from Alzheimer's disease. As we talked, I asked if she would be upset if he was a little late. George replied, well, not so much. She no longer knew who he was and that she had not recognized him in five years. I was surprised, and I asked him, she hasn't recognized you in five years, and you still go every morning even though she doesn't know who you are? He smiled, and he patted my hand, and he said, she doesn't know me, but I still know her. Now, I realize that that's a very personal story for, for some of you. You know, we enter into these times when we forget and we have loved ones that are going into this. But it's such a picture of what it means to be a jar of clay. 
and what it means to be known. And I think that's what Paul is saying to us. We might not know him, we might forget, but he knows us. And though our outer body is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed, and we can be assured because his love is so strong that his light has been shown in us. And despite all of our cracks, despite all of our weaknesses, the power of God, the power of God in Jesus Christ who went to the cross, was raised again for newness of life, it shows through us. Praise be to Him. What a treasure. What a treasure that we have. Father, as we contemplate these things, we recognize we need Your help. Give us Your grace. Lead us uh, further up and farther in. Lord, our weaknesses are real. Our afflictions uh, are, are right at our doors. But at the same time, we know that you are the treasure, that we would sell all that we have to gain. You are the treasure uh, that gives us strength and purpose as we walk our days. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.